So welcome to worship. Christ is risen. He is risen We praise the Lord that he is, isn't he? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. rejoice and be glad. And we are really glad that you have come to this worship time this morning. You know, we, we come to these gatherings like this and we know some things, don't we? We know that a service will never change us at all, coming to a service, but meeting God will. And so when we come to a service, we come to meet God, don't we? And that's where the change will come. And so we can rejoice in the Lord. These are hard days, I think, to rejoice in the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice in it. And this is the Lord's day. And, uh, and yet, this is a hard day, a hard time, a hard period of history, you might say, for many of us to rejoice. But God wants us to rejoice. My life is uh, a lot like yours, I'm sure, in many ways. Some days are good. Some days are bad, some days are ugly, and some days are a joke, right? And uh, sometimes you don't know which is which, uh, but that's how our life is. But, uh, but God blesses us. He shows up and he blesses us. So I'm just thankful to be able to share with you from the word for our time here this morning. And um, yeah, in, in baseball, you know, they have what they call a designated hitter. You familiar with that? He's the guy who can't play very well in the field, but uh, they give him a spot in the lineup every so often to come up and hit. Well, that's sort of me. I'm, I'm the designated preacher this morning, and uh, sorry for the occasion on that, but uh, thankful for you being here and putting up with this. So really, uh, my heart is, is very full, so I know that we go through times of... Um, Hard times, and, and I sure know what that's like, too, just like you do. And, and then other times, praise God, our hearts are full and stirred up. And I'm sort of in one of those phases right now in my life. And uh, I'm really thankful to be able to share the word with you today. And, and I have a lot of things that I am thankful for. And I do praise the Lord for Mother's Day. Amen? Amen. And, and, and thank you, Paul, for leading us in that end. We just, we just want to say it again. Happy Mother's Day. Say it. Let's say it loud. Shout it out. We appreciate their mothers. So my mother went home to be with Jesus in 2002. And uh, I miss her every day. I miss her. And I'm very thankful for her. I'm looking forward to seeing her after Jesus. <laughs> uh, I'll be looking up my mom in heaven, and uh, I look forward to that. I'm also very thankful this morning for uh, the mother of my children, Jan, and uh, uh, what a great mom she is. And I'm also very thankful this morning for my mother-in-law, uh, Martha, who is here with us. And I praise the Lord for them as well. Are you with me on this? And, and I thank you. And last but not least, we are thankful once again for Dan and Jennifer and uh, this new event that will transpire, Lord willing, this week. <laughs> and uh, looking forward to little Matthew James. So I, I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm, I'm thankful for what God is doing here at Riverside in many ways. The men's 
ministry, the women's ministry, the young families that are here, the leadership team, and, 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 and everything. I could just go on and on. I'm, I'm really thankful uh, for the, the privilege of being here with you guys at Riverside. And, and once again, uh, I mean this. I'm not just saying it because I'm up here trying to think of something to say. But uh, I, I mean it. We're very, Jan and I are very thankful. Thank you for allowing us to be part of this congregation. I'm, I'm praising God for that. And then I'm praising God for last week. Anybody praising God for last week with Todd Burrow? Anybody here last week? Some of you don't know whether you were here last week. <laughs> uh, just try to remember back, you know. <laughs> I, I praise the Lord for Todd's ministry. I praise the Lord for bringing him with us. Todd sent us a text this week. He said, being here at Riverside and the men's retreat and then here Sunday morning was a massive blessing to him. And I read that and I'm thinking, good grief, Todd. It's a massive blessing to us <laughs> to have him here. And I'm, I'm just thankful. And maybe you're thinking about that guy. Here's this young guy. And, and he came here and he ministered to us last week uh, from Kansas, the great state of Kansas. You, you've heard of Kansas, right? You know, and uh, how did that happen? What, you know, what's going on? Well, as part of my message this morning and the last part of it, I'd like to share with you the rest of the story of how that got started in Kansas and how it ended up with Todd being here with us last week. So if you're interested, hang on to that. The title of our study this morning is Like a Mighty Army. We believe that the church is a mighty army of God. Amen? Amen. And so this is a message that really has been on my heart for quite a while, uh, I didn't realize that it would be this morning that I'd have the opportunity to share it with you, but I guess this is the time that the Lord planned, but I've, this has been stirring around for uh, quite a while on my heart. The church is a mighty weapon, and Jan's going to come and read a passage here for us in a minute, but we just want to make sure at the beginning of this that we're, we know what we're here for, Right? We know what we're doing, that, that this time, this gathering, this morning is for the glory of God. Anybody say amen? amen? It's for the glory of God. It's not about Riverside Church. It's not about any pastor. It's sure not about me. It's not about Todd Burrow. When I talk about Todd, it's about the glory of God. Because the church is a mighty army of God Almighty. And the passage this morning that we want to start with is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And uh, my favorite wife is coming to share that with you. I feel so privileged. <laughs> All right, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, 
to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Will you join me in prayer? Father, in our humanity, we may never understand, we never want to underestimate the power of our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But in Christ, may we never overestimate their power either. You have given us the whole armor of God to protect us. Lord, just open our hearts and minds to hear and to understand your word today. Lord, we know that in Christ, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And we stand in his victory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. It's a great passage. I know that you're very familiar with it. You've probably studied and thought about it many, many times. But we want to think about it again this morning. And think about it in these terms that the church is like a mighty army. Anybody believe that this morning? The church is like a mighty, mighty army. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm 46, it says these words, The nations are in uproar, the kingdoms are totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 46. In 1529, Martin Luther, you remember that guy? Famous reformer. He wrote a hymn that is still popular today. You can probably guess which one it is. It's come down through all this time. It's known to the world as, under the title, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's a great hymn, isn't it? Great hymn of the faith. And the second verse of that hymn goes like this. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side? The man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Amen and amen. Martin Luther had it right on target, didn't he? He knew what he was saying. So Ephesians 6 is a great passage, and it's one that I think uh, we can be familiar with and just think that maybe we understand it completely, right? When maybe we really don't sometimes. So back again in our history in, in the United States, back in 1938 it was, there was a, a catastrophe back there a uh, minor catastrophe. It was one of the greatest mistakes that ever happened on the radio waves at that time. The day before Halloween, 
uh, there was a program that was put on the radio. It was called The War of the Worlds. Maybe some of you were alive then. I don't know. <laughs> and you remember that, The War of the Worlds. And it featured Orson Welles. Remember that? And so Orson Welles was sort of a genius. And he took a book by that name and he transferred it into a radio program. And he made it sound real. And so on the radio program, they had these announcements. The War of the Worlds. And it was about a Martian invasion of the United States and America and the world. And it was so good. And it was so real that many people believed it was true. And the story goes that people were panicking. They were freaking out. And people were running around. They were finding gas masks. And they were uh, getting their guns loaded. And they were going down into the basements. And they were hiding because the Martians were coming. And of course then the scandal broke. And they found out that it was not true. And everybody was angry. And they said, we'll never let this happen again. It's a fascinating story the war of the worlds. The interesting thing to me about it is that it was a story that was not true that people thought was true. It was a story that was false, but people thought that it was factual. What we're talking about this morning in Ephesians 6 is a similar concept, the war of the worlds, but it's just the opposite. It's a story that a lot of people is, think is fictional, but in reality, it's true. You see what I mean? It's just the opposite. This is a true story, isn't it? Because this is God's word. And the passage that Jan read to us is the word of God. And so this is a real deal for us this morning. So I don't know where each of us is coming from this morning when we think about this and and, it, and to some people, this might really be far out to think about Satan. But here is the word of God. Amen. The word of God is true. And so we want to take some time to look at it. Ephesians. How many of you have read through the whole book of Ephesians before? It's a great book, isn't it? It's a marvelous book. It's sort of like God's book in the New Testament about how to live in heaven on earth. How can I live in heaven on earth? And, and Ephesians tells us. So the first three chapters, that's the doctrine. That's our position in Jesus Christ, if you're in Christ. And then the last three chapters, that's our experience in Jesus Christ, where you take your position and you make it your experience. And some people have suggested that chapter 6 is especially about the conflict that we may experience in Jesus Christ. So that's not real exciting to us, but I think it's probably pretty accurate, don't you? So let's take a look at the passage. I know it's very familiar. What I'd like to do to begin with this morning is lift out four bookmarks, four principles or truths from this familiar passage. And, and if you're interested, I just encourage you to take some notes that you can uh, go back and pray through this uh, because the devil will fight you every inch in accepting and applying these truths. Ready? Number one, very obviously, the Bible teaches that life is a battle. Anybody say amen to that one? Yeah, so verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul writes. For our struggle, 
for our wrestling, some of the translations say, for our battle, for our warfare, is real. Life is a battle. I heard someone say one time that anyone who's been a Christian very long knows this, that life is not a bowl of cherries. Sometimes it's the pits. Amen? Are you awake? (laughs) And that is what the Bible says, isn't it? So Ephesians calls it a struggle of wrestling. Galatians 5 says that there is a battle going on between the flesh and the spirit inside of us. Amen? Romans 7, Paul says that the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I I don't want to do, I do, and there's a battle, there's sin that is in me, fighting me. In James chapter 4, he says, where do wars come from? And he says, the wars come from within. There's a fight, there's a battle going on inside of me. And it's very, very real, isn't it? So here's a picture that we have here, just to think about this battle that's going on, just an illustration. This is a picture that was taken in 1986 at 11.39 a.m. on January 28th in 1986. Seven men and women disappeared in a flash in a fiery ball some 10 miles above the earth. This was the Challenger crew. Some of us remember that. Amen, do you remember that? It was a tragedy. It was serious. And a lot of people watched that in horror on their TV screen. U.S. News and World Report said that America's innocent vision of space travel is gone. No longer now will we look at the rise of rockets as being routine in our culture. Now we will know when we reach for the stars the fears of old world explorers who sailed for the unknown with maps of empty spaces warning here be dragons that that is true of us in America now. Here be dragons. Isn't it true? We are still mourning and grieving the loss of that crew even these days. Well, what we'd like to say this morning is a similar fact to our walk with Jesus Christ as to that tragedy that happened. Because of this attack from the devil, the Christian's innocent vision of life is gone. No longer do you look at the gathering of believers in Christ like we have here today. No longer do we look at this as routine. Because when we reach for the heavens, the warning is there from God, and it says, here be dragons. Because there is a battle going on. There is a war. Amen? And there is a struggle. When you think of this, and when I think of it, what are the places in your life right now that may be places of war and fighting in your life? Perhaps most of us can think of something to put on that list. Amen? Life is a battle. Raymond Ortland wrote this. He said, there is a view of the gospel today that says that if you walk with Jesus, you will be successful and rich. It is cheap grace. We need to tell our people, if you walk with Jesus, you will suffer. You can choose, in this life, you can choose what you want to suffer for. Why not choose to suffer for Jesus? 
That is the truth, isn't it? Are you with me on this? Is this what we all believe? I hope so. You see, war has been declared. And Ephesians 6 is talking about it here. But our story is just beginning. A second truth takes us to the next step. Not only is life a struggle, number two, we would say this, that the enemy in this war is what? Invisible. Wow. Now that's strange. Verse 12, it tells this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. How many of us notice that? I'm sure you've heard that a zillion times. It's not against flesh and blood, is it? Why? Because the enemy is invisible. I don't know if you, when you were a kid, if you ever, I, I remember thinking, oh, wouldn't it be neat to be invisible? You know, and you could sort of go around and do all kinds of mischief and nobody would know who it is and all kinds of things like that. Well, well this, is, this is not a joke here. This is a serious statement, isn't it? There is an enemy of a believer in Jesus Christ and that enemy is invisible. And it's not a dream. And the mischief that he causes is deadly. And Satan is out to ruin your life. He's out to destroy our life. Me too and you. Back in the Second World War, Hitler was on a rampage through Egypt, through Europe and one nation after another, you remember, and, I, and we talked about this before, but I praise God that a little Bible college in Scotland and Reese Howells was there, the president of that, and he believed that there was a war going on, but he believed not only was it physical, it was spiritual. And so he rallied his little group of college students, Bible college students, and they prayed every day, several times a day, during that whole war for the devil to be defeated, which would end up with, with Hitler being defeated. And God answered that prayer time and time again. It's a, it's a powerful story if you're not familiar with it. Invisible, but powerful. Someone has said the devil is the quarterback with two excellent ball carriers, the flesh and the world. <laughs> it is a trio of terribleness. And verse 11 tells us that we need to take a stand against the devil's schemes. So maybe some of the translations have a different word, but mine, the NIV, has schemes here. It means to stalk somebody. It means it comes from a word of an animal seeking its prey. Yeah, the, the devil is crafty. He, he is full of guile. He is full of deceit. He, he schemes and he plans, and that's what he is. Now, Paul, this, Ephesians is one of the prison officials, uh, epistles. So he's in prison. He's got a guard there. We don't know for sure what the guard looked like. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're sort of guessing that his guard is standing there watching. But his guard is visible. His guard is human. And his guard is vulnerable. This adversary that we're talking about is the opposite of all that. Invisible, not human, and not vulnerable. He is powerful. His name is Satan. And so if you don't believe that, I mean, that, a lot of people, of course, don't believe that. 
But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, all you got to do is look around at, at the uh, landscape, the Christian landscape, and see all the Christian carcasses. You see what I'm saying? The carcasses. I'm thinking of a pastor a few years ago, a well-known pastor, famous for writing a book about dating and marriage and holiness and all of that, and he walks away from the Lord completely. Just walks away from everything he believes and taught. Thinking of a young man in church on the missions committee uh, and a leader in Awana, committed Christian, zealous for the Lord, one day just up and walks away from his family and his two boys, runs off with another woman and never looks back. I'm thinking about even in the Chicago area, as we know with some of the megachurches and the, the collapses and the scandals that have taken place there. Amen? Are you with me? And, and even small churches have not escaped from these things. It's everywhere. I mean, where did those things come from? Where, why did it happen? God tells us. He tells us what, why it happens. He tells us what the root problem really is. We can broaden it out to our whole culture. I mean, not just the church, right? To see Satan's work. I mean, good, good grief. The, what's going on in our country with all the shootings, 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 shootings constantly. The wars going on all around the world. The attacks we see on the unborn. The stirring up of racial hatred and prejudice. The assaults that we see in our culture today on the family and marriage and gender and you know what I mean. And we could go on and on. Even attacks on dishwashers now. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you can, you can uh, study that one out. But this is what Paul is saying, isn't it? He's saying the devil is real and the invisibleness is part of the plan that we have because we can't see him. But we see the results of him, right? And so in verse 12, he says here, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That's what God says. And so my version says, for our struggle, and some of yours say wrestling. So I don't know if, if any of you were wrestlers when you were young, or maybe you're a wrestler now. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Roman wrestling was different a lot of times than wrestling, modern wrestling, wasn't it? A Roman wrestler had one goal in mind, and that was he wanted to get his two hands around the throat of his adversary and pin him to the ground by strangling him. He's not talking about pinning him by his shoulders, but by his neck. Because then that wrestling was a life and death struggle. And if you pin somebody's shoulders to the mat, they can get up again. And they can fight some more. But if you pin a man's neck to the ground in a stranglehold, he's not going to continue the fight. Amen? This is just a, one of the pictures you can find. And, and, and I don't know what it really looked like, but it was really serious. And that's the word that Paul uses here, isn't it? It's wrestling. It's an astonishing thing that we can do that. Amen? Are you with me on this? 
Some of this is hard stuff for some of us, I think. You know, some, some people don't believe in the devil. Somebody asked Billy Graham one time, do you believe that the devil is real? And he said, sure I do. And, and they said, well, how do you know? And Billy Graham said, I met him. <laughs> Have you met him? Maybe so. Maybe so. Dwight Pentecost wrote, he said, we are not engaged in a Sunday school picnic softball game that we can play in until we're tired and then sit down on the bench and leave the game to the youngsters. Our adversary is seeking to destroy us. What do you think about this? I mean, this is, a, this is sobering and to some degree fearful. But only when we are awake to our danger will we be awake to the next truth that is here. And so we must hurry on for number three, and this is so obvious, of course, in the passage, and that is this. The battle is whose? The battle's the Lord's. I love that, isn't it? Don't you? First Samuel 17, 47, David fighting Goliath, and his, his motto, his slogan is, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So God tells us that only the spiritually strong win these battles. And we have spiritual armor that he gives us in order to win. Amen? We have the armor. And so this is what he's talking about here. In verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Wow. That's what I need. So it's like David and Goliath all over again. I'm David and Satan is Goliath. You're David and Satan is Goliath. Riverside Church is David and Satan is Goliath out there. And we want to grab our sling and we want to grab our stones and we want to sling them. But God is the one who's making sure that it goes exactly where it's supposed to go. Amen. So he says, I want you to wrestle and struggle and I want you to stand. What's the opposite of stand? Fall. He said, I don't want you to fall in battle. I want you to stand. I want you to be victorious. I think, again, Paul, you know, again, being in, in some kind of, this was his first imprisonment, uh, being in some kind of prison was thinking of the Roman soldier when he goes through these, these pieces of, you know, the uh, weapons and everything. And he's looking at this soldier here, and we don't know exactly what that soldier looked like right then. But we know something. We know that the, he's not being guarded by a soldier wearing a toga. He's not being guarded by some guy who's retired, a retired greeter at Walmart. He is being guarded by a soldier who will put on the full armor of the Roman soldiery and go out to battle that battle there. And so we have, have this list here. And I know, again, you're familiar with this. I hope that you've studied this and you could go through each piece. It's a, it's a great study for each of us to do if you're interested, the different pieces there. And, and uh, you know, we're not going to go through all of those this morning. 
But there's one especially there that recently I, I came to understand something that was new to me, and maybe you already knew this, but uh, the Roman, uh, the shield there, see the picture of the shield? Uh, they had more than one kind of shield, but the shield that's talked about here is that big one. And so the Roman shield was large and oblong, and the soldier could hold it up, and he had complete protection if he crouched down a little bit, right? Now, here's the thing. When all the soldiers are standing side by side with their shield up, get it? It stopped all the arrows that were fired by the enemy. If you were a soldier and you got off by yourself, you were somewhat protected, but you could be vulnerable from the back. So it was so important for the army to be together, putting on the armor of God. Amen? I love that, don't you? That's a church. That's a calling for us in the church. This is what we do together. And so I think each piece of those those armor things there, uh, I think they each represent an area of obedience in the life of a Christian. You can study that more yourself. But if you look through those pieces and you read through it on your own, uh, just think about it. Uh, ask yourself this question. Which piece of armor are you doing pretty well at? And which piece of armor on that are you doing pretty poor at? And what are you going to do about it? And so the armor is there. Praise God for the armor. Amen? Amen. So we praise the Lord. Okay, but that's not all. You still with me this morning? So I'm thankful because I know that you've been through a lot of this before. Here's point number four, another truth. And this, this is maybe to me the clincher. Jesus Christ calls us to what? To stand. Can we say that all together? Jesus Christ calls us to stand. And we talked about that a little bit before. And so this is given to Christians. This is given to the church. That he wants us to put on this armor and stand against the devil. So when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, praise the Lord for Jesus. The Bible says that we are now in Christ. Hallelujah. And Christ is in us. It's a mystery. In Christ, and we are in Christ, he is in us, and, and we have this great partnership. And one of the key terms in the book of Ephesians, if you read the first part, is this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. You're in Christ. If you have Christ as your Savior, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And we can know that there is a calling from God if we're in Christ. There's a calling. He's calling and we're in Christ. And so every day when we get up, hallelujah, right? We can say, I praise the Lord today. I praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, for what you have done. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. And our iniquities have been laid on him. Amen? His blood cleanses us from all sin. He disarmed and triumphed over the principalities and powers. And he brought them to open shame when he died upon the cross, Colossians. He became partaker of flesh and blood so he could die and defeat the devil. That's what it says, 1 John 3. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. 
He arose from the dead. He lives forever to give complete salvation to everybody who comes to him. Hallelujah for that. There is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? All of this in Christ. It's, an, it's a fantastic blessing that God has given to you and me. And it's amazing that we even have it. But he's calling us. If we're in Christ, he's calling us to something. He's calling me to stand in these battles and not fall. I can fall. Can you fall? I can fall. Let's don't kid ourselves. Why would he tell us to not fall if we couldn't, if that wasn't a possibility? He says, stand. Dave, I want you to stand. I don't want you to fall. So here's a couple of questions. Do you think, is it possible to be in a war and not know it? Is it possible to have an enemy and not see him? Is it possible to possess spiritual power and not use it? Is it possible to live a life and not invest it for Christ? It is possible. We are not just in any fight. We are in a fight to the finish. And so God wants us to be soldiers. <laughs> There's some songs about that. This was an old picture of a poster that they had in our country for recruiting soldiers. Interesting picture, isn't it? A poster. See anybody you know there? <laughs> if we had a poster today of soldiers for Jesus Christ from Riverside Church, I wonder what it would look like. Every Christian is to be a soldier of Christ. What kind of soldier am I? We have been drafted for battle. There are no exemptions. We're talking about men. We're talking about women. We're talking about kids. There's no draft dodging. I was in college during the Vietnam era in the riots. And there were protests. And there was draft dodging. And there were deserters. In God's army, none of that. None of that is available to us. There are no exemptions. I still remember when I was in college for a while... In college, I had an exemption, an educational exemption, and then they changed the rules, and they did the lottery, and they selected you, and when your name came up, boom, you were out, you were drafted. I still remember that, sitting around with my buddies in the room, watching the TV, watching the lottery, and looking at each other saying, that's your number, that's my number, that's your number, that's your number. You're drafted. What are we going to do? One man wrote this as he speaks for God. A call for loyal soldiers comes to one and all. Soldiers for the conflict, will you heed the call? Will you answer quickly with a ready cheer? Will you be enlisted as a volunteer? That's it. See, God, God calls us his dearly beloved. I, I think that's so neat, isn't it? We, we are his dearly beloved. So dearly beloved... If these things are true, what should we do? And that's why, you know, I think that we can declare from this passage, number five, that the church is like a mighty army. Do you believe that? 
The church is like a mighty army. Now, that's a hard thing for a lot of us to get our head around, and me too. Um, you know, we, some of us on our way to our life, we have forgotten a few things. So we, we need a refresher course, right? I share this. I like to share this at, at funeral services. So please forgive me. <laughs> we need a refresher course. And, and this is it. You go to the course. Here's, here's what we have forgotten. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you're not him. <laughs> Number three, one day you're going to meet him. And number four, when you meet him, you'll give an account of your life to him. That's the refresher course. That's the truth of the word of God, isn't it? I read this, this funny story. This uh, little boy, was, he was in a church service and he talked about, the pastor was talking about how you should invite Jesus into your life, you know, as your savior. And he, he couldn't understand it. So he cornered him in the parking lot and he said, Pastor, I have a question for you. And he said, sure, son. You said I could ask Jesus to come into my heart. That's right, the pastor said. But Jesus is a man in a man's body, the little boy said. The pastor said, that's right, son. And he couldn't understand that, so he said, but I'm just a little boy. And the pastor said, that's right, son. And he just was so puzzled about it. And he said, but if I'm just a little boy and Jesus is a man, if he comes into me, he's going to be sticking out all over. <laughs> and the pastor looked at him and he said, that's right, son. That's right. See, Jesus is supposed to be sticking out all over in our lives. So, you know, Greg Laurie says that what he thinks America needs today is a Jesus revolution. Another one. A second one. That's a whole other story. So Jan and I were part of the first one. And some of you were too. And I may agree with that. What America needs today is another one. A second one. And so a lot of us are looking around today, and we're looking around at America, and we're looking around over in, in uh, Europe and, and all the stuff going on, and over in Israel, and what's going on over there. And we're looking for a magic answer. And some people think the magic answer is in politics. And some people think the magic answer is in education. And some people think the magic answer is in money. And some people think the magic answer is in riots. And some people think the magic answer is in military strength. And most of those things are good things. And they're legitimate things that need attention in a proper way. But what I'd like to suggest is none of those things are the magic answer. The magic answer stares at us from the pages of a book like this, Ephesians chapter 6. And here's the magic answer. What we need today, the final answer is this. What America needs today is God. And that means you need God, and it means I need God. And that means that the power of God are the, is the spiritual weapon that we need, and that means the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ, that if you come to Christ, God will change your heart. And the word of God is the power of God that reveals the gospel, and the privilege and the power of praying to God is what unleashes it. And that's what we need today. And we need churches who are alive with that in the presence of Jesus. That's what we need, and that's what America needs. And I know that many of us are just praying like crazy that that's, that will be true for us here at Riverside, but all across America. Amen? Anybody with me on this? Okay.
So I just want to, so I want to tell you a story. And, and I just, this is, you might think this is totally unrelated, but I hope, hope you don't. We were blessed last week to have Todd with us. And uh, there's, you remember Paul Harvey when he said, here's the rest of the story? Here's the rest of the story to that, the background to that. Because it's a story of God working. It's a story of how God showed up. And it's a story of how when God showed up, God's people joined up. And when God's people joined up, God's kingdom powered up. And it's a true story. We could say many stories today. This is just one, and I thought you would be encouraged by this since Todd was with us last week. Amen? Is that okay? So here's what I mean. We're thinking about, given this world that's broken that we live in, what do we do? What do we do? Here's one thing that one church did. So back in the day, way back in Kansas, which you've heard of Kansas, right? So back in Kansas, you know, we were in Minneapolis, Kansas, which was in the heart of Kansas. It was the county seat of Kansas. Grand population of about 2,000. County seat. And, and God was working. And, and uh, God was bringing people to himself through a lot of home Bible study ministries. It was a group, it's an interesting story. Anyway, and, and so there were... In, in that little town there, uh, there were about 350 folks coming to church. And we had a group of people there from a neighboring town, Bennington, Kansas. A group coming from Bennington, Kansas. About 30 or 40 people from Bennington. So one day, we were there in, in one of our meetings, and one of our elders come. And they, and they say to us, uh, you know, we believe God's put on our heart to start a new church in Bennington, Kansas. Now, Bennington was only about 10, 10 minutes drive away, not close, not far, but close. But, you know, back there, those communities tend to be isolated quite a bit. And uh, so we were surprised. We didn't think, oh, no, you know, our church is going pretty good. We don't, you know, we don't want to lose, take a bunch of people away and do something like that. But, you know, there was a lot of interest in that. God was stirring. And to make a long story short on that, it worked. I mean, God led us and, and the elder team in Minneapolis, Kansas, got on board with that, and, and I was asked to be involved in it, and I was, it was exciting to me back then to be part of what was going on. And so, you know, this group, this little group of people from Bennington, Kansas, had a burden to start a new work. It was a new church because in Bennington, there were no churches that preached the gospel. So it's not like church planning today in many times. This was something new. They went somewhere where there was a need. And so this was a big deal. And, we, and so we started to launch out in this little group. And you know what happened right away? We hit opposition, a lot of opposition from that little town because there's a lot of loyalty in those little towns. And they don't like people from the outside coming in, <laughs> you know, doing new things like a new church. There were two churches in town, but they both were very liberal in their theology. None of them preached the Bible. There was a need there, and, and God was moving. And so there, the opposition began to grow, began to grow. And part of the opposition in the town centered around a young man who owned the local bar. So on the corner of the main street in Bennington, Kansas, and another highway was a bar set there. And that was where the bar was. That's where all the bar people hung up. And this young man owned the bar. 
And he was one of the leaders of opposition against this new little church. We couldn't get a building. There were a couple vacant, even vacant church buildings in Bennington, but they wouldn't even talk to us because, again, they didn't like it. They didn't like the idea. So we were, you know, praying about it. We finally ended up, the Lord led us to start meeting in the basement of one of the parishioners there. And so we did that for a long time. It was a, it was a neat thing, you know, in the basement, but you got to set up and, and everything. So anyway, all this is going on, right? And, and this opposition is taking place. So uh, this owner of the bar, this young man, he even put a petition in his bar against the new church coming in. And he had people who frequented the bar sign the petition, I'm against it, I don't, they don't belong here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right? And uh, he wrote articles in the local newspaper against it. It was, it was a big deal back then. And, you know, for this little group, you know, we were a little discouraged about it. And we were wondering, you know, is God really leading this thing? You know, and, and, and we found out, you know, that he was. And so we just kept plowing ahead, plowing ahead. And God just kept working and working. And things began to grow, grow a little, you know, a little bit at a time. And until one day, uh, we were all shocked that uh, this young man who was the head of all the opposition and owned the bar was playing basketball with his buddies, running down the court, and he collapsed, and he died of a heart attack, 32 years old. So you talk about shaking things up. That shook up a lot of things. It shook us up on our side. It shook up, you know, the whole community as well. It was a shocking thing, obviously. But, you know, God wasn't finished yet because I happened to have a friendship with his wife through some church things. And I was so surprised because she came to me and asked if I would do the memorial service. <laughs> so, you know, I, I am just really surprised. And this, whole, this story is not about me. It's, remember what we said at the beginning, this is about the glory of God. Because I couldn't imagine any of this. She came to me and said, well, you know, okay, we can do this. Where in this town are we going to meet? So we, you know, because the whole town was going to be involved in this. The metropolis of 600 <laughs> was going to be involved and other people as well. And so the only place we could come up with was one of the liberal churches had enough room. And so we asked them if I could come in there, you know, on behalf of the family and lead this memorial service and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and they said yes. And so we had it and we packed it out. I mean, this, this was a normal sized church building and uh, the whole sanctuary was full. Every side room in the church was full. They had seats out there. They had a PA system in every room so everybody could hear everywhere. And by God's grace, you know, we went in there and I had this opportunity to share the gospel. And at the end of the message, I invited people to pray a prayer to receive Christ. And I don't know for sure what happened, but I, I did hear a lot of reports afterwards of so many people that made decisions for Jesus Christ on that day. To God be the praise, amen? Okay, so God is still working. I'm getting around to Todd, so don't forget. <laughs> uh, so God is working. So after the funeral service, you know, back there, they usually have a meal 
that they offer for the family, right? Uh, to comfort them, and nobody wanted to do it. So guess who volunteered? Our little church did. <laughs> Our new little church volunteered. And, and, you know, and we didn't have any place to do it in. So they decided that we could do it in the bar. <laughs> and so in we go in the bar, and we have this sort of this potluck meal for the fish. You know what God did? He just did a giant, giant healing in that community. A giant healing during that. And only God could figure it out and do it. Amen. So God's still working. He's still working on this. See, this is for God's, to God's glory. So the, uh, the bank, the uh, bar folded up because the young man died and it went back to the bank. Right? So they needed somebody to buy it. So guess who bought it? <laughs> so the Lord just supplied it the money. We bought the, the bar. We went into the bar. And so it was a, this big three-story building, very old. But the bottom part was the bar. We just, we turned the bar into a church. <laughs> and that's where we met for quite a while. And God just, God just worked and he blessed things. And, and so that, that does bring us back to uh, Brother Todd. So this, this is a picture of Todd a little bit ago. And, uh, and the lady there that he's standing with, her name is Donna. Donna is the wife of the elder from Bennington who initiated uh, this call for planting a new church. Uh, she's a blessing. She's still living and, and with the Lord. So Todd, Todd was uh, at our church in when we moved to Elgin. He was in our church. He was the youth pastor when Dan was in the youth group, as we heard about. And then Todd left for another ministry for a while. He came back to us as he was seeking some new things. And along about that time, Bennington Bible Church had an opening and they needed a pastor. They just needed somebody. And, and so here was this young man from Genoa, Illinois, grew up, you know, came to know Christ. His life was changed. And he just happened to be available. We just happened to know him, and we just happened to have contacts back there. And, you know, one thing led to another, and boom, you know, God took Todd back to Bennington, Kansas. And uh, God led them. They, they built a, a brand-new building outside of town now. And this is in little Bennington, Kansas. And they have, they, they have two services on Sunday morning. They, they have uh, over 300 folks gone from all over the area. And you know what? I was talking to Todd last week. One of the things he said, they're thinking about planting a church in one of the neighboring towns. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So what, what am I saying here this morning? I, I wanted to share it because of this. It's not about Todd. It's, it's sure not about me. And it's not about people. But it's the glory of God. And in America, when we think of America and the world, what do, what do we do considering this warfare? This is an idea. This is the type of thing. I'm not saying that we should repeat the details of this story, but I am saying we should repeat the experiences of this story. And the experiences are really, really powerful for us. I think that we can come away with this, that we can really be convinced that the church is a mighty army. So that means, number one, be ready for some new experiences and surprises. 
Number two, be ready for a strong fight if you have an open door from God. If a church does, be ready for a strong fight. And number three, be ready to stand in God's strength. And number four, be ready to what? To see God win the battle. I love it. I love it. What does an army do? What does an army do? It does that. That's what an army does. And that's what we need today more than ever because it's the story of God's glory. Amen? And God, I think, is just waiting on us. I don't know what he has for us in the future here at Riverside, but he's got something. He's got something. He's got something more than just the normal week in and week out, which is good, but he's got something more for us. I wonder what it is. And I wonder what your part will be. I wonder what he's calling me to do, what he's calling you to do. Because God is working. And we praise him for that. The church is a mighty army because Jesus is a mighty king. Amen and amen. And so, by the way, if you, thank you for your patience here this morning with this. If you're here this morning and you're not yet in Christ. Can I say a word to you, please? This is a powerful story. And you might not even believe that it's true. But the Bible says that it's true. And we who are here following Christ, we can verify to you that it's true. It's a glorious thing to be in Christ. It's a glorious thing. But the Bible says this. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Here's the thing. If you're not in Christ, it means you're on the other side. There's no neutral. You're on the other side. And you might say, well, I don't, I, you know, I'm just indifferent. I don't really care. You know, you have your beliefs and I have my, you know, whatever you want to say, I'm just, we're just saying this is what the Bible says. And it's time to make a choice to choose the side that you want to be on. So in Romans it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he loved you and me, that he sent his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but has eternal life. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Right now, you can do it. This might be a great morning to do it, to settle it. And just say, God, here I am. I've heard this. I don't even know if it's true, but I want to know. And I want to take Christ into my life right now so I can know. I want to be on your side. It's not worth it to be against you, Lord. And so I just confess to you that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all my sins when he died on the cross so that, so that I can go to heaven when I die. And Lord Jesus, I believe that right now. I believe it right now. And by faith, I invite you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Would you be willing to do that today? If you do it, it'll be a great transformation from this side to that side. 
and you'll be part of the army of God, a soldier in God's army. May God guide us and bless us and make us as a congregation a powerful army in his kingdom. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, here we are this morning on this Lord's Day. Father, we're thankful that we can be here together with friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ. But Lord, we know that just coming to a meeting is not going to change anything. But coming to a meeting with you will change everything. So God, as we leave this morning, we want to leave meeting with you. God, we praise you this morning and ask that you would keep us from spiritual defeat. You are a life and our reward. And we praise you for your continued guidance in our lives. And we ask that you would, by your grace, allow us to focus on you, that we might be people of hope, that your presence would make us glad and sincere Christians, that you would make the way clear to us, that we would experience full joy from you. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice in it. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.